Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the horror hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself if you dare. Come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more. Your search is through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 24. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. I'm afraid, my friends, we have come to the end of Season 2 of Horror Hill. And what a season it's been. But before the last candle sputters and dies, 
and we recede into that primordial dark that once drowned the world in its cold embrace, blind, slimy, and quivering. We might just have one more story for you. A little fare thee well from author T.W. Grimm. So don't go wandering off now. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now... Allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now... Without further ado, I proudly present you with the special two-hour Horror Hill season finale, Your Zoom, by T.W. Grimm. Mark stared at the computer screen in the dark, and the image that was frozen on the video player stared back at him, a screaming mask of blood with empty eye sockets. He marveled in a numb and remote sort of way at just how quickly his life had gone from being pretty bad to very good, and then to pretty fucking weird, and had then spiraled down into the murkiest depths of horror and insanity. Mark had never meant for this to happen. No, no, and fuck no. He wiped his mouth with a hand that tremored, and eyes closed tightly, tried to focus on slowing his breathing. If only he had never answered Brennan in the first place. What the hell had ever spurred him on to make such a stupid fucking decision? It had been glaringly obvious that the guy was unbalanced. Why, oh fucking why, had he ever decided to play along with the man's delusions? If he hadn't, life would still be very good and Mark would have never found himself sitting at his computer in the middle of the night with his heart slamming in his chest and his gut soured by a bitter tang of nausea. Mark supposed that this feeling was something that he had often written about but had never truly experienced himself. It was sheer horror. On the screen, the woman's face screamed at him from a frozen moment in hell, eyeless and skinless. The sockets were shockingly dark against the glistening red that surrounded them. They. Her face. For Christ's sake, he skinned her fucking face. You sick, twisted son of a... His stomach lurched and Mark Ancaster ran for the bathroom, his hands clamped over his mouth and his eyes as wide as saucers. He barely made it there in time. After he was done retching, Mark crammed himself in between the toilet and the big jacuzzi tub. His clothes were soaked to dripping with a rank, visceral sweat. I'm responsible for this, Mark thought, and he shivered. 
God help me. I'm responsible. What have I done? In college, Mark Ancaster had aspired to be the next Stephen King, and in his freshman year, he earnestly set about trying to write his own Salem's Lot, or The Shining. He discovered that the task was far more time-consuming and difficult than he'd first thought. But, by the end of his last year in college, Mark had written a large number of short stories. Some of them weren't too shabby, but a lot of them were really bad. Rushed, immature, and derivative. Ancaster managed to get a few pieces published in a couple of little-known horror magazines, but received nothing but rejection emails from agents and publishing houses. Or, more often, he received no reply at all. Then, in the early 2000s, after begging and haggling alone from his parents, he grudgingly paid a vanity press to run 500 copies of his crowning achievement, a 120-page novel entitled Vior Zoom. It told the tale of a wealthy, decadent madman named Cyril Hellstrom, a decidedly hammy anti-hero who wins a sinister prize during a high-stakes game of mahjong. A series of blood-lettered incantations which describe an ancient ritual to summon an interdimensional demon. Utilizing foul construction materials and a lot of overwrought dialogue, Cyril sets himself to the task of building his very own demon, and succeeds at a terrible price. Much to his surprise, Mark quickly sold all 500 copies. He had 500 more printed up and those sold out too. Local bookstores were doing brisk trade with the book, and his name began to pop up in fan newsletters and independent horror writing circles. Emboldened, Ancaster decided to add a few of his better shorts to the novella and turned it into a 230-page anthology, a schlocky B-horror bit of fun entitled Virzoom and Other Necrotic Tales. Almost all the initial printing was sold within a month, over half of the books were ordered online by people hailing from clear across the country, and even by a few folks south of the border. The name Mark Ancaster spread wider and wider. Before long, Mark was being invited to do book signings at horror conventions, and had been interviewed by several larger publications, magazines with international distribution. A year after he'd first timidly handed over the check, backed by his parents' money, to the smug-faced hippie who owned the press, his independent little book had sold nearly 19,000 copies, and Mark Ancaster had a new car, a new apartment, and a new girlfriend. The latter was named Jade. She was a self-professed artist who rarely did much except smoke pot and watch TV. She had firm, pale breasts, like artillery shells, and a penchant for wearing a metric ton of dark eyeshadow. But, most importantly, she excelled at the art of making Mark feel good about himself. The horizon before him was big and bright and full of promise. Agents were calling. Everyone held their breath and waited to see what might happen next. Nothing. That's what. For seven long years, Mark struggled with a horrendous case of writer's block. For seven long years, he sat in front of his computer and waited for the magic to flow, but it just didn't. He sat there with increasing desperation 
and waited for the bunged-up colon of his imagination to shit forth another slick B-horror hit. But it just didn't happen. The janitorial position that he'd taken after college as a temporary measure became his meager bread and butter. Eventually, the new car broke down, and he couldn't afford to fix it. Not long after, Mark was informed that he and Jade were being evicted from the new apartment for being woefully behind on the rent. This was the last straw for his new girlfriend, and she left him for the bass player of a shitty local punk rock band named The Hot Digits. Six weeks after she turned her back on him and walked out the door, Mark was living in his parents' basement and was drinking heavily. His computer was used for seeking out pornography and downloading pirated music, and that was all. The proud glow of Mark's early triumph was extinguished and gone. Now, he dwelled in the bitter darkness, a wasted man, at the age of 29. Not long after his 31st birthday, Providence came strolling in out of the blue, as it always does, in the form of an early morning phone call. The call was from a woman named Chloe, a chipper young woman who happened to be the assistant of a well-known Hollywood producer. She'd spent several days tracking Ancaster down, and she relayed the story of her detective work in a breathless, hyped-up monologue that the bleary-faced Mark could barely even follow. Chloe was as shrill and high-strung as a cartoon chipmunk. It hurt to listen to her. He loves it. Absolutely loves your story. It's going to be huge. The horror hit of the summer. She blatted into his ear, and despite the intense rush of joy he was feeling, Mark had to stifle an urge to ask Chloe to pipe the fuck down. Her voice was like a drill. Mark interrupted her hyped-up monologue to ask, Um... How'd your boss even manage to get his hands on a copy in the first place? It's been out of print for years. Hell, I don't even have a copy of it anymore. And I wrote the damn thing. Hmm, someone left a ratty old paperback copy behind an airport lounge. I mean, really? Can you believe it? So weird. Anyway, the big guy just happened to be in there, killing some time while he waited for a connecting flight. So he picked it up and started reading. It was missing the first two pages, Chloe shrieked. She inexplicably let out a high-pitched cackle like a coked-up loon. Too funny. But listen, Mark, and I'll cut to the chase here. The big guy wants to talk some numbers with you as soon as possible. We'd like to make an offer to option the filming rights to viewer Zoom. The big guy is very serious about obtaining these rights, Mr. Ancaster. He wants to bring your artistic vision to life. And so it happened that Mark Ancaster ended up selling the filming rights to his long-forgotten novella for a respectable six figures. Though critically panned as being tawdry, shock-driven trash, the movie went on to become one of the summer's biggest blockbuster hits. Seemingly overnight, Ancaster became, by his standards, filthy fucking rich. He promptly moved out of his parents' basement and into a large home in a gated community, but not before paying off the last of his parents' mortgage. His mother wept tears of joy and gratitude in Mark's arms. His father tousled Mark's hair and gripped his shoulder and said, I've always believed in you, Mark. Always. Even though he had never believed in his son and had said as much on a number of occasions. Mark let it slide, though, 
because that moment was something that he'd been waiting for his entire life. The moment when his parents were finally proud of him. Smelling the sweet carrion of easy money, a major publishing house swooped in like a bird of prey and bought the publishing rights to Virzum and other necrotic tales for another hefty sum. Mark was ecstatic. Was this really happening? Unsurprisingly, Jade ended up messaging Mark on Facebook, completely out of the blue. She congratulated him on his success, and inquired without even an ounce of tact how much money he might be worth now, and then asked for one more chance. Please, Mark, tell me yes, and I'll leave him in a heartbeat. I miss you. You know I do. Colon, parentheses, frowny face. Then had to laugh and shake his head as he sat before his brand new computer at his grand and glorious new home office, located, of course, in his grand and glorious new $450,000 home. It was as if she had no concept of just how badly the abandonment had shattered him, how many nights he'd spent curled up on what used to be her side of the bed, smothering his sobs with a pillow that she'd left behind. Giving in to a fit of juvenile revenge fantasy, Mark sent a copy of her message to her Mr. Punk Rock bassist, then immediately deleted his profile. The requests and begging and demands for cash had been piling up in his inbox in massive numbers anyway, and it was time to escape. The aggressive internet panhandling was absurd. Mark hardly even knew most of these people. Also, he couldn't recall a single one of them extending an offer to help him out during the course of the last three dark, lonely years. Not once. He made a new profile, set the privacy options to their most militantly reclusive, then sent friend requests to the handful of people that actually mattered to him. The chapter closed, and good riddance. Mark had new, private phone numbers, and he'd been careful to keep his new address a guarded secret. The old Mark Ancaster was gone and forgotten. The new Mark Ancaster was here, and he was here to stay. And he was writing again. Thank God and all other possible deities, he was writing again. After many seasons in the abyss, Mark Ancaster was on top of the world. He was rich. He was famous. He had fans. Tens of thousands of them. They retweeted him constantly and his author email was filled daily with their love. He had an agent now, too, and the man was fielding numerous offers on his next book, a book that wasn't even completed yet. He had hope. He had a future. And then came Brennan's first email, a Pandora's box of horrors, set free by a single click of the mouse. Mark had no way of knowing what kind of macabre domino effect he would set into motion by answering it. Disaster, like Providence, has a tendency to come and blindside people out of nowhere. Brennan's message came in late August, when the movie version of Verzoom was still going strong in the theaters. When Ancaster saw it, he was still on a high from the latest great news. A few days earlier, his agent had informed him that the late-night talk show circuit was clamoring for Ancaster to start making appearances. This is a big thing, Mark. A whole new audience, Jerry had written. Not just the horror fans, but all kinds of other folks, too. Bored mothers up late with their colicky babies, retired people, college kids, shift workers. Hell, every demographic you could think of. This is great exposure. 
I'd like to coincide these appearances with a book signing tour if we can swing it. When are you available in September, my friend? P.S. How's the writing going? Give me something soon. The sooner, the better. A sample of the new book, a short story, a grocery list. Something. Huh, gonna need a PR agent soon too, I guess, Mark had muttered to himself. He felt a little scared. It was too fast. A PR agent? Then what? A hairstylist and a chef? A personal trainer and a spiritual guru? It was too fast. Too strange. It wasn't him. He wasn't that guy. And he wasn't certain if he would be able to fit the mold. Mark was absently skimming through his fan mail when a line of text jumped out at him from the screen. He read it over twice, then let out a small chuckle. What the fuck? The message's subject read, From hell's heart I stab at thee. Colon, capital D. Your Zoom will live soon. Please read. Well, how could he not, with a title blurb like that? The message in question was sent by a fine, upstanding individual with the email address of BrennanKillsYou666 at Hotmail.com. Mark clicked on the email and unwittingly started a chain reaction journey that he would soon dearly regret. Dear Mr. Ancaster, I can say that I am probably your biggest fan. I love your book so much. I've read it five times and now I've seen the movie three times. Your book isn't just a story. Zoom is my god and I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise the great Zoom from the fourth dimension. I will follow your instructions word for word. Please trust me. I'm very smart. And I believe in the power of darkness so I know this will work. He will live. Please know that I am not full of shit. I do what I say. Always. I will send you pics of my progress. Here is the first one. It's me. In my mom's backyard. Where I will be doing the Dark Lord's work. Thank you for this gift, Mr. Ancaster. Your book has changed my life, my beliefs, and soon it will change the world. When Vyrzum rises from the earth and lives again, you will be revered and exalted almost as much as the Defiler himself. Yours truly in the night, Brennan. Mark reread this bizarre attempt at communication twice more, then brayed a gale of incredulous laughter at the screen. What the fuck? This guy, ugh, wow. Uh-huh. Mark steeled himself and clicked on the attachment. Please don't be a gross dick. Please don't be a gross dick. Please. Mercifully, the JPEG was not a picture of a gross dick. It was a picture of a chunky young man of about 19 or 20. A kid who could easily run for the dubious title of greasy metalhead misfit of the year. He had a tangled, dank mullet hairdo and a matching mustache, the latter consisting of roughly fifteen willowy hairs. Horrid acne rampaged across his cheeks and forehead in a vivid spray of red. The kid was standing on a scruffy patch of lawn that was more weeds and dirt than grass. A splintered fence loomed large behind him. It was an ominous structure that stood at least eight feet high. The privacy fence from hell. Your neighbors must hate the shit out of you guys, Brennan. Look at that god-awful thing. Brennan was giving the camera the thumbs up with one hand, the other was pointing at his shirt. It was a plain black t-shirt that Brennan had spiffily modified himself with some white fabric paint. 
The result of the artistic endeavor was a crude pentagram, with a shaky-looking W superimposed over the center of it. The words, He Will Live, were childishly lettered around the top. It looked like an inept logo for a 90s-era black metal band. Mark laughed, and then he laughed some more. This weird little reject is actually going to attempt to raise your Zoom, a fictional monster that I dreamt up when I was 20 years old, addicted to Lovecraft and constantly smoking pot. This shit would be amazing story material. Ancaster knew that he shouldn't do it. Shouldn't. But he did. He went ahead and responded to Brennan's email with one of his own. It was a straight-faced response made of the sort of broad, bold-faced sarcasm that was sure to be lost in a simple-minded oddball like Brennan. Eh, what the hell. Why not? Mark was pretty much a prisoner of his keyboard these days, and entertainment was hard to come by. He wrote, Dear Brennan, I am very impressed with your enthusiasm and balls-to-the-wall attitude. You are a rarity in this world. A man who is willing to undertake an impossible task and make it possible, all for the sake of sticking to his own unwavering principles. Surely most ordinary men would quail at the prospect of giving life to an imaginary demon from the upper dimensions, but not you. No, you sneer in the face of rationality, and that is what makes you so special. Please do keep me up to date on your progress, and thank you, Brennan, for providing me with a front row seat to your evil shenanigans. I believe that if there is anyone on this planet who could pull this off, it's probably you. You're a special breed, sir, and I wish you luck. Hail Satan, M.A. Mark, briefly considering, forward this craziness to Jerry Henning and maybe a few of his other close friends, then decided against it. It was bad enough that he had laughed his ass off at the poor schmuck in private. Even worse that he goaded the guy into further communication with his reply... He was being an asshole, and he knew it. It was best to go no further. At any rate, it was unlikely that he'd ever hear from Crazy Brennan again. People like Brennan, he reasoned, are a flighty and fickle bunch. They embrace wild whims in a heartbeat, and then discard them just as quickly. Tomorrow, Brennan would undoubtedly have forgotten all about this. He would get caught up with some other weird kid errand, and that would be the end of it. But Brennan didn't forget after all. Brennan took Mark's blessing and ran with it. The weather was a bit cooler that week, so Mark spent a lot of his time trying to get some writing done out of the terrace. He had a fucking terrace. The whole concept still felt weird to him. Sitting in a plush lounge chair under a giant umbrella with a laptop balanced precariously on his lap... Oh, it was just too nice out, though. He kept finding himself out in the yard, helping out the gardener, a gruff old fellow with a ribald sense of humor named Derek. Derek was puzzled as hell with his behavior. I've never even seen most of the people whose properties I take care of, he said, let alone work alongside of them. But you don't seem like a goddamn fruitcase or nothing, so I guess it's okay. Grab that fucking wheelbarrow, son. We got some mulching to do. But he was glad to have someone to talk to and, of course, to lend a hand with a wheelbarrow. Derek had arthritis in both knees, and he dealt with the pain by drinking all day. Every day. His bulbous nose was redder than Rudolph's, 
and the moist exultation of his laughter carried an eye-watering bouquet of Captain Morgan's spiced rum and stale coke. Over the course of the week, the two men told each other, with a polite level of detail, all about their lives. Derek was staggered by Mark's rags-to-riches story. Shaking his head, the older man wheezed. I wish to fuck I'd pay more attention in school. Jesus, Harriet Christ, good work, man. Let's have a drink in honor of your success, huh? In turn, Mark heard a colorless recitation of Derek's discovery of his ex-wife's affair and the subsequent bitter divorce. Derek told him about losing the house and the newer vehicle, despite the evidence he had of her infidelity. He told Mark about his new life, living in a low-rent trailer park with an adopted stray cat and the bottle as his only company. Mark listened to Derek's bare-bones version of the story and nodded sympathetically where required. In his mind's eye, he saw Derek sitting awake on the edge of his creaky cot at five in the morning, ashen-faced and shaking with a need for a drink. He saw the man driving past his ex-wife's house, again and again, just circling around the block with a warm beer balanced against his crotch, and Doug saw him playing on the radio. He saw Derek gradually drink himself to death, not knowing any other way to kill the pain of his betrayal. He saw those things and felt the sour taste of pity in his throat. It wasn't that long ago when Mark had been dancing his own bitter waltz with the bottle, crippled by failure and heartbreak. He silently vowed to make Derek's life better somehow. Brighter. The poor old bugger deserved it. On Friday, it started drizzling around mid-morning and the thickening cloud cover promised heavier rain soon. Lancaster took this as a sign from the writing gods to quit dicking around and get to work already. He sat before his PC and, in no time at all, he was finding excuses to put off opening the document. Or, rather, the document, the file on his hard drive that contained the rough draft of the eagerly anticipated follow-up to Vyorzoom. It was going to be a thing of beauty, a perfect melding of horror, suspense, and the supernatural. It was going to be fucking red hot. The very prospect of the document's existence after all those years of writer's block was intimidating as hell. For Mark, intimidation and procrastination went hand in hand. He checked the status of his bank accounts. The numbers on the screen still seemed unreal to him, a grave clerical error. Then decided to peruse his fan mail. It was always inspirational to bask in the praise of people that he had never even met. People from all around the world whom he had entertained with his imagination. It was more than inspirational. It was life-changing. Oh, hell, look who's back. There was an email from Brennan, sent on Wednesday at 3.27 a.m. Either Brennan lived in a different time zone or he was something of a night owl. The subject of the email read, Phase 1 Complete. A small voice in the back of Mark's head spoke up then. It said, very firmly, stop right there. Stop. Don't fall down this particular rabbit hole. Delete this email and delete the other one too. Just stop. Instead, Mark clicked on it. Being bad is more fun sometimes, isn't it? It said, Hi, Mr. Ancaster. It's Brennan. Remember me? Thank you for your reply. It was really awesome that you replied, and it made me feel good about this decision. I wasn't shitting you the other day. I'm fully committed to seeing this through. Your Zoom will be reborn. I swear it. 
on my mother's grave. Here is a pic of the first phase of my plan. As you described in your book, I have found a patch of ground that's neutral of good or evil. My mom's backyard. I drew the circle as you described it and sat in it at midnight and I invited evil spirits to join me in the circle. And they did. I couldn't see them, but I felt their presence and I heard them speak in my mind. They were there. I told them that I wished to release the demon Vyorzum into this realm, the world of souls. I told them that I want all of mankind to die screaming. They said that they needed an offering of blood, so I killed my mom's cat with a hockey stick and I tried to fuck it, but wasn't able to. They were pleased and said that I was almost ready, but first I have to build a vessel for him to inhabit. So I started that tonight and got pretty far with it. It's made of a mixture of dirt, water, and cat's blood, and my spooge from the last three weeks I saved in a jar, and my piss and shit. I think I might be missing a few things. I need to get back and read that part again. Then I will know if I'm doing it right. The frame of the body is made from coat hangers. I have the body almost done, but not his head. Talk to you soon, Mr. Ancaster. From hell, Brennan. Mark sat for a while and stared at the screen, dismayed. His inner voice spoke up again, louder this time. It sounded angry. The voice said, How about you don't screw with this anymore, okay? It's not funny, asshole. You're not funny. Hmm. You're right, he murmured. This isn't funny at all. The attachment was another JPEG. The thumbnail was dark and murky. Mark hesitated. Although he didn't really believe that Brennan had actually handled cat blood, feces, or urine, there was always the possibility that the picture really would contain the aforementioned vile substances. Hell, there could still be a gross dick involved. The attachment was, in internet parlance, a risky click. In the end, morbid curiosity won out against the possibility of revulsion, and Mark clicked the view option with his fingers crossed. The image swam up on the screen and Mark's heart skipped a beat. No, this was not a joke of any kind. It wasn't funny in the least. It was disturbing. There was now a towering golem made of dirt beside Mama Brennan's backyard fence. It was almost as tall as the monolithic barricade of the fence itself, and it was twice as ugly. The soil from which it had been molded was dark and dismal in color, and it contrasted sharply with the clear blue sky overhead, which could be glimpsed as a thin band of blue at the top of the photo. The image was very clear, and Mark could see enough fine detail to determine that the effigy was indeed made out of dirt, roots, stones, and other soil detritus. He could also see twisting glints of fine, wire-like metal all along the golem's form. The coat hangers. The thing was lumpy and disproportionate. One leg was longer and thicker than the other, and the arm sat too low beneath its slumping shoulders. It sported a long, thin neck that ended in a flat spot. Vyorzum still awaited the placement of his head. A furry, rag-like object lay at the golem's feet. It wasn't hard to guess what the object might be. 
The thing's shadow loomed across the gnarled wood of the fence behind it, gaunt and twisted. The shadow disturbed Mark. It was wrong somehow. It didn't coincide with the object that was casting it. Just a trick of the light, of course, but it was disturbing. The effigy itself was posed with its arms down at its sides. They were still basically part of the torso. Its shadow, however, appeared to have its arms stretched wide, as if to encircle and trap some unfortunate prey. The picture was disquieting. The image made Mark feel... squirmy, kind of... uneasy. There was something abhorrent in the thing's shape and posture. It was wrong, alien, bad, unnatural. It stirred in him a primal urge to beat his monitor into a heap of shards and sparks and then hide under his bed. This thing, lifeless or not, it was bad. What it represented was bad. It represented madness. The kind that drives people to commit unspeakable acts. Such as beating a cat to death with a hockey stick and attempting to rape it and then draining its blood into a pile of dirt. And then he squatted over the dirt pile and squeezed out a deuce, Mark thought, and he grimaced. Took a piss all over it, too. Brennan took a long, steaming piss all over that nasty old mess, his cock out in the breeze, and he, ugh, emptied a jar of his fucking hell. That's disgusting! He did all this and then he jammed his fucking hands into it and started sculpting his masterpiece? This happened! Oh, Jesus, that's just fucked! This is fucked right up! Okay, what to do? The kid was obviously a good deal more deranged than Mark had previously thought. He was not someone to string along for a laugh, not one bit. He was potentially dangerous. Mark was going to have to defuse the situation... It was time to issue a firm, careful admonishment, and then sever the communication between them for good. He'd been stupid to fuck with this guy in the first place. What had he been thinking, for God's sake? Mark stared down at his keyboard for a few minutes, ruminating on what to say, then began to type. Brennan, you have to stop this. Go no further, please. Let this be the last of it, okay? My last message to you was a joke. I am sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Listen to me. It's just a story, Brennan. It's not real. Your Zoom isn't real. He's just a fictional character that I created for a horror story. You must understand this. Cyril Hellstrom is also just a character that I created, and nothing that he did in this story will actually result in the release of a demon into our world. As far as I know, demons don't exist. It's all just fiction, Brennan. Made-up stories to entertain people. None of that stuff is real. You seem like a fairly intelligent young man. I suggest that you tear that awful thing down and just forget about all of this. Take a break from the horror stuff and get a new hobby. Maybe grab a shower and get out more often. Meet a nice girl. Most importantly, live life, Brennan, okay? It's time to put down the horror stories and just, you know, live life. Enjoy being young. Enjoy being part of the human race. 
I wish you the best of luck, Brennan. Please refrain from contacting me again. I don't feel that it would benefit either one of us to continue corresponding. Nothing personal. You just need a break from this sort of stuff, that's all. A good, long break. Take care, sir. M. There. Resolved. Ancaster deleted Brennan's email and decided to forget all about the incident. It would make for a morbidly amusing anecdote in the future, and that would be that. He saved the photograph of the effigy, though. It was just too frightening to not keep. He was a horror writer, after all. And that fucking thing was nightmare fuel. The very next day, Brennan sent a reply, or rather a series of the same email, one after the other. Fifty-seven of them in total. Each one of them had an attachment. Mark observed the endless row of paperclip symbols with a sinking heart. He was still wearing his pajama pants. A half-consumed mug of coffee sat on the desk beside his keyboard. This was a terrible thing to wake up to. The subject of the email? You stupid cocksucker. You don't even know. A ball of lead in his gut, Mark hovered the cursor over one of them, and his mouth turned down in anticipation of what awaited. He clicked. Greetings, you fucking dumb fuck. I can't believe that you would say that to me. Fuck you. Fuck you, Mark Ancaster, for turning your back on the truth. The truth! You are just a sellout. You're probably writing a romance novel now to make more money, faggot! Your Zoom is greater than your belief or mine. He was born into existence when you wrote about him, and now he is as real as the dildo that you use to fuck your gay ass with. It is faith that gives him power. And many people know about him now that his word has been spread by the book and movie, so fuck you! I will continue without your blessing. I don't even care. I fucking believe, and I will succeed, and he will live! And when he comes to life, he will find you and make you bow down and suck his cock, and he will tear your fucking head right off and eat your heart and fire your corpse. He will. I will see it happen. Here's another photo, asshole. It's his head. I'm about to put it on. I'm ready for phase two. Are you... Brennan. Ah, the JPEG. Always with the JPEG, this guy. Mark wondered if he should call the cops. How much could the police really do, though, at this point? Probably not much. It would piss Brennan off immensely, though, and this might not be a good thing. He wasn't... He wasn't right in the head. Speaking of heads, Vyorzoom's head was nothing short of ghastly. Brennan had placed the monstrous thing on top of what appeared to be an old, scarred-up wooden desk for the photo. All around the head, carved-in graffiti littered the surface of the desktop, disembodied messages with no context. A lot of it consisted of pentagrams, the number 666, and a shit-ton of upside-down crucifixes. The word... Cunt Rip appeared a few times as well. It sounded like the name of an extreme grindcore band, which was just the sort of thing that would be up this freakazoid's alley. The head's angular trapezoidal structure suggested that its framework was made up of coat hangers as well. He fucking loves those coat hangers. 
but there ain't one left in the whole house. A faded, dirty canvas tarp had been stretched over this asymmetrical frame, creating a rough, conical shape. On top of this, a moldering old mop head had been stapled as hair, dirty and gray. The facial features had been crudely drawn on with black marker. The eyes were ink-colored ovals, one larger than the other. They were topped by thick eyebrows that slanted down into a murderous scowl. There was just the barest suggestion of a nose, and the mouth was a crooked polygon of sharp, uneven teeth. The ghastly thing looked like it had been born out of a mentally disturbed second grader's imagination. Well, there it is, man. The sum of your old work right there. Jagged, childish, and creepy. Dude kind of nailed it, didn't he? The best course of action Mark decided was to ignore the situation. Brennan could send him all the fucked up emails his heart desired. He just wouldn't answer them, that's all. Or read them. Or do anything but file them away and hope that the fucking nutjob would get bored soon and move on. How far is he going to take this? Mark's subconscious whispered. Is he going to actually go through the rituals in the book? Is he going... No. <laughs> he isn't, so fuck off. Mark grunted. Creating undue anxiety for himself over some fucktard was needlessly harmful. He had work to do, a life to lead. Brennan was a non-issue, Mark assured himself, and would soon fade away. He was inconsequential. The rain came back that afternoon, and Mark spent the afternoon working on the document. While the radio played softly in the background, behind that, the rain softly tapped at the windows and drummed mindlessly on the roof. He fell into the story like a dream, the old magic taking him away to other places, other times. As Mark's fingers skittered across the keyboard, the action came to life on the big screen TV in his mind, and he was lost in what he saw there. Mark typed. The rain fell, and at some point, he became aware that the DJ was talking about a woman who had been reported as missing earlier in the day. He took a brief moment to reflect on how sick society had become, shaking his head sadly, not suspecting for even a moment that he would be seeing the woman very soon. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Jerry called the next day and they discussed the sad and inevitable event of having to hire another agent to represent him with matters relating to the media. In other words, 
a PR agent. Henning wasn't really equipped to handle this side of Mark's career. He needed outside help. It was mostly a one-sided conversation because Ancaster was completely out of his depth on the subject. Mark didn't know anything about handling mass media. He didn't want to know, really. He just wanted to write. You're quickly becoming a real celebrity, my friend, Jerry said. There's going to be some more changes in your life very soon, believe me. You'll have to move again. This place isn't nearly secure enough. The walls that surround your neighborhood aren't high enough, trust me. Hell, the paparazzi will be climbing the fucking trees to take a snap of you straining out your morning shit. And I'm not even joking. The offers for interviews keep pouring in. Radio, TV, internet, newspapers. You're a good-looking young man with a bright future, Ancaster. You're going to be partying with starlets and wrecking your BMW in no time. Mark almost said, it's not the paparazzi who I'm worried about, Jerry, and stopped himself. It was a long story that he didn't feel like getting into. Well, it wasn't really so much a long story as one that made him sound completely fucking stupid. Jerry would likely say something along the lines of, You dumb bastard. Why would you even bother responding to a nutcase like that? And sternly heap a crushing load of shame onto Mark's head. Also, he'd probably insist on the involvement of the police. That was a messy business that Mark didn't really want to get involved with. If they decided to charge the little psycho with animal cruelty and uttering threats, Mark would be forced to testify against him in court. No. No, 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 and fuck no, none of that. What a shitty mess all that would be. His new PR agent would have to work double time to smooth it over. Instead, Mark spent a few more minutes chuckling at Jerry's corny old guy witticisms and agreeing with his proposals. Then begged off with a promise to send Jerry at least 20 pages of the new book. Which 20 pages do you want, man? Got over a hundred to choose from now. The first 20, you cheeky son of a bitch. I'm glad to hear that you're coming along with it so quickly. Too many of the authors that I represent are drunk off their ass most of the time, and they don't write a goddamn thing. Oh, they'll write their cell number on a cocktail napkin and give it to a pretty waitress. That's about it. Keep at her, Mark. I'll be waiting for those pages, my friend. Don't forget. After he hung up, Mark dutifully sent the first 20 pages of the document and decided to see what old Derek was up to. He found him hunkered down on the north side of the property, trimming back a clump of unruly shrubs. Mark strolled up behind him and said to his bent back, Jesus, what a mess. Looks kind of like a 70s-era bush in there, doesn't it? You probably like the natural look, don't you, old man? That was your era. Derek straightened up and let out a low groan. I'll take him however I can get some, son. And whenever. He turned around and Mark winced at his face. The old fella had an ugly shiner around his right eye, swelling it mostly shut, and his upper lip was cleaved by a deep split. It was almost as puffy and bruised as his eye. He looked awful. Fuck me, Derek, what the hell? The ex's new man friend caught up to me outside the liquor store and we had a conversation. Didn't go my way. The gardener looked down at his work boots and let out a quavering sigh. I don't blame him for doing it. I guess I'd do the same thing if I was in his shoes. Can't stay away, Mark. I can't stop driving by her house. Their house. I can't stop calling in the middle of the night and bawling at her to come back to me. I can't stop and... I gotta, cause it's killing me. 
Mark felt a lump form in his throat and he swallowed in. You know, I'm not a TV psychologist or anything, but I think that maybe you need help, Derek. Maybe you need some help to stop drinking so much. To let go of your ex-wife. You know, just let go in general, you know? Move on. I've been to AA before, Derek snorted dismissively. Court ordered. Got caught driving under the influence. AA was a bunch of horse shit. Or an excuse to shove Jesus down your throat. In the end, I wouldn't go back. Derek, look at you, okay? You look like friggin' Igor over there. Jesus, man, you need help. You need to talk to someone. Shit, I'll help you find someone. A, a counselor, a professional. Aw, oh, hell. I ain't got the money to go. I'll pay for it. Seriously. Please. Let me do this for you. You can work it off by dancing for me in your underwear if you want. Just let me pay for it. I'm rich, remember? I count money and smoke cigars in my mansion. I can afford it. What do you say, old man? Come on. Don't be a stubborn jackass for once. Just say yes. Nera cracked a slow, painful grin. The wound on his lip was red and raw. It needed stitches, he said. Yep, that seals it. I knew that you were a fucking fruitcase, then hawked and spat a wad of bloody phlegm into the grass. The action made him utter a soft hurt sound in the back of his throat. Mark winced again. The ex-wife's new flame must have worked the old fella over something fierce. He found himself worrying about the possibility of internal bleeding. Are you okay? I mean, no bullshit, man. Seriously, do you need a doctor? Eric waved away the question with disdain. No need, no doctor. There's nothing they could do for me. I taped my own ribs up just fine. Narek stooped to grab the hedge trimmers off the ground, and the sweat that suddenly beaded on his forehead spoke volumes. He pulled himself erect with a grimace and said, Well, I ain't dancing in my drawers for you, bud, but I guess I'll consider your offer anyway. Maybe... Maybe I do need to lay on a couch and bitch to someone for a while. Maybe I do... Narek hesitated, then added, Thank you. I've been having a rough ride for the past little while, and it's been a long time since someone wanted to do me a good turn like this. I... Yeah. Thank you. I mean that. Mark felt the lump return. It was a little harder to swallow away this time. <laughs> you look like you're gonna cry, old-timer. Now who's the fruitcase? Just... Give me those hedge trimmers, I'll show you how to do this properly, you stubborn old bastard. They spent the rest of the afternoon taming the long-neglected island of shrubs and ribbing each other. Just two guys, having an honest laugh while they worked. It felt good to both of them to just shoot the shit and interact with someone, without any sort of pretense. Mark called it quits shortly after four and helped Derek pack his tools away into his rusted-out cargo van. The older man left on the promise to not fall into the bottle that night. Mark lingered out on the front lawn and watched as the van receded into the distance, his hands jammed into his pockets and a small smile on his face. He was going to help someone get their life back together, someone that genuinely deserved it. It felt good. It was the right thing to do. Ancaster wandered back into the house, still smiling, and decided to check his email before grabbing some supper. 
what waited for him there, wiped the smile clean off his face. Phase two, motherfucker. Oh, Jesus, he muttered. Here we go, phase fucking two. I'm not reading this. Shit on that. Shit all over that. But Mark did read it. He was helpless not to. How are things going up in your high and mighty world? It's all going to come crashing down on you soon, so enjoy the high life while you can, you piece of shit. Last night I stripped naked and I stood before the great viewer Zoom and read the first five passages of the invocations, and I masturbated. When I got to the part about how the moon will laugh at our suffering from the heavens, I shot my jizz on him. I saw and heard it sizzle when it landed on him. It did, for real. He consumes life and gives birth to death. He is the defiler. He is the creeping madness. He is the never-born, the wicked infinite, and the king of suffering. He's your Zoom, and he will live, and I swear that you will die by his hand, you fucking weak little dog. The traitors always die first. He almost lives. So soon. I'm going to finish reading the last four pages tonight, and I will spurt more unborn lives onto him in offering. In my mind, I can already hear the bells of doom ringing out across our universe, and human eardrums will explode when they toll. The sun will fade, and the time of storms will come. Men will turn to savagery, and their new god will walk among them and feast daily on their flesh. He will burn the churches and synagogues and packy houses as he passes with a wave of his hand. The angel swan will destroy the schools and hospitals and chaos will rule. He feasts on us all, even me. He will destroy us all, but most importantly, he will destroy you. I swear it. I hate you more than I hate. God, I hate you more than I hate my stupid, pathetic, meaningless life. You're a traitor to his name. He is greater than your lack of faith. Oh, I fucking hate you so much, you cocksucker. Die! I took a picture that I think you'll want to see. Ah, the obligatory JPEG. Always with the picture attachment, this fucking guy. Okay, shithead. What you got for me this time? Lancaster barked at the screen. His voice echoed in the large, sparsely furnished study. Large and gruff and full of nonchalant bravado that he did not actually feel. I took a picture that I think you'll want to see. What the hell did that mean exactly? What was the crazy motherfucker talking about now? It was a picture of Ancaster's car, taken the day before in the parking lot of a grocery store. Just a slightly blurry, poor quality picture of his new Lexus, sandwiched in a parking spot between an aging Honda 
and some kind of SUV. And oh, Jesus, did it chill him to the bone. Mark's neck prickled in a sudden rash of goose flesh, and he gripped the arms of his rolling chair hard enough to leave indents in the hard padding. Brennan had found him. Brennan knew where he was. Lancaster's first impulse was to lunge for the phone on his desk and dial 911 as fast as his shaking fingers would allow. Fuck this shit! Ignoring a crazy online stalker was one thing, but ignoring a crazy in-real-life stalker was just plain stupid. Brennan might be dangerous. He was in the grip of a very dark and strange delusion, and Ancaster had insulted this delusion. Brennan had already expressed, quite explicitly, his desire to watch Ancaster suffer. The kid hated him with a manic passion, the kind of loathing that only deep, rooted madness can create. Mark forced himself to breathe, slow and deep, and he leaned back in his chair. Realistically, what would Brennan say to the boys in blue if they came calling on him? Why, he'd just say, I saw my favorite author getting his groceries. I just had to take a picture. Was that illegal? No, sir. The emails were just a joke. Poor taste for sure, but still, it was just a joke. I promise that I'll stop. This was the real world. And in the real world, the police didn't arrest people and put them in jail unless they possessed solid evidence that a crime had been committed. What was Brennan's crime here? In the eyes of the law? Except for being a creepy little douchebag? What can they do to him? Really, they won't just piss him off. Mark thought about it for a few minutes, rocking back and forth in his computer chair and staring up at the ceiling. As bizarre and ominous as his communications were... Brennan had not even once threatened to directly harm him. He claimed instead that these nefarious acts upon Mark's person would be carried out by a mannequin made of dirt, shit, piss, and spooge. It added a strong element of cartoonish fantasy to the aggressive tone of the emails. It seemed unlikely that the cops would be inclined to pursue a charge of uttering death threats. A common harassment charge, maybe? Did that even exist? If it did... The penalty was probably nothing more than a fine, a nuisance charge. At most, they might send someone over to the kid's house to give him a stern talking to. And then what? Lancaster's fertile imagination took root with the vision of a shame-faced Brennan, facing the investigating officers and their questions with innocent eyes. He was standing on a paint-peeled front porch and nodding his head like a puppet, a caricature of agreement. And, of course, everything he said ended with a yes sir or a no sir. They gave the cops soft, placating answers to their sharp queries, his eyes wide and round with sincerity. Yes sir, officer. Yes sir. I understand completely and I sure am sorry. I'll stop this crap and get my life turned around now. I sure will. And I'll never do something like this again. No sir. Eventually... Because they can do nothing else, the cops get into their vehicles and leave, and Mark's unwanted pen pal watches them go from behind a curtain, his fists clenched into hard knots, and his eyes shining brightly. An odd smile twitches at the corner of his mouth. His whole body is twitching, actually. 
almost thrumming even, with rage, white, hot, lunatic rage. So what the fuck then? Are you just going to ignore this? What else can I do? Mark said out loud. Get a restraining order? If that would matter to this crazy dipshit? Ancaster's mind clicked along, faster and faster, and it overheated in a mire of indecision. Okay, this is what I'm going to do then, he decided. I'm just going to continue to ignore this shit. I live in a gated community with a security guard on patrol. I have tall privacy fences around my house and a top-notch alarm system. I'm as safe as anyone can be, so... So I'll ignore it. His new plan made perfect sense. It made sense because Mark was cozy in his office, comfortable, and free of injury, and Brennan was somewhere else. It's easy to talk oneself out of defensive action when there isn't an imminent threat in sight. It's human nature. It was easy for Mark to simply stop thinking about the situation and dismiss it. Too easy. Ancaster did his best to lose himself in his writing, and the magic was still there, thank God. He spent hours and hours bent before the screen, his fingers flying across the keyboard like a concert pianist. He also spent time preparing himself for the looming publicity tour. This was being planned and put into action by his brand spanking new PR agent, a blandly slick shark of a man named Jared Callum. After a few initial phone conversations, Ancaster met his new agent over Skype. Callum was a man of undeterminable age, with a smooth, tanned face and a receding hairline. He wore Abercrombie and Fitch clothing, had sculpted eyebrows, and his conversational patter was almost mesmerizing in the perfection of its flow. Callum never hesitated, stuttered, tripped over his tongue, or said, Um, not ever. Listening to him speak was like sailing smoothly across the river Styx in a luxury yacht. In his mind's eye, Mark could see the thick mist hanging over the river's strange, murky waters before them, and there was Callum at the helm of the ship, talking his easy line of banter and steering them ever deeper into the curtains of fog, deeper and deeper. To break up the monotony, Mark periodically ventured out into the yard and kept company with Derek. The first few days of sobriety had been very rough on the poor old fella indeed. On several occasions, Mark had observed Derek on his hands and knees, shivering and puking into the tiger lilies that lined the back of the property. He saw this happen and pretended not to see. It was better that way for the both of them. Detoxing was harsh on Derek, but he stuck it out and kept all of his appointments with the addiction counselor that Mark had discreetly found for him. Mark could see the poison starting to drain from the man already. Not just the residual booze, but the soured rage and stale hurt. The bad things that were killing him slowly, one dreary day at a time. His color was getting better, and the shakes were gone. When he smiled, it was tired and drawn, but it was genuine. After a particularly grueling morning sweating over some edits, Mark wandered outside and found Derek weeding a shady flower bed in the side yard. Mark kneeled down into the moist black mulch and joined him. After a while, Derek got up with a groan to stretch his back. His knees popped explosively as he did so, and he grimaced. Well, shit. Goddamn pickle, that fucking hurt. 
he said, and he fetched a grimy bottle of Advil out of his hip pocket. He washed four of them down with some cold coffee, then grimaced again. Look, ain't gonna lie to you, bud. That would have went down a sight better if it were riding on a shot of whiskey. Derek pressed his hands against the small of his back and pushed. He was rewarded with a series of snaps, like stepping on a bundle of dry sticks. He winced and grunted. Getting too old to be rooting around in the dirt, ain't I? Shit. Got friggin' five years till I can retire. That's some bullshit, that is. Well, if you can manage to stay on the wagon, maybe you can start saving a few bucks and invest in something. Mark rooted out a nasty-looking clump of stinging nettle and tossed it into the green bin with satisfaction. I've got an accountant for you to talk to, if you want. Apparently, he's pretty good. I don't know for sure, because having money is still a new thing for me, and he hasn't been my accountant for very long. Seems like just yesterday I was eating Kraft mac and cheese straight out of the pot in my parents' basement. Derek snorted. Mark noticed the cuts and bruises from his liquor store parking lot beating had faded to mere suggestions. Time heals. Oh shit, you're still regular people at heart. That's why I spend so much time here, because you're not an asshole like most of my other clients. And you do a lot of the work for me too, you weird little bastard. Anything to bask in your warm glow, Derek? Mark bent to the task at hand and Derek watched him for a while, smoking a player's filter and looking deep in thought. Finally, he said, So, you want to tell me what's been eating you, bud? Huh? What you talking about? <laughs> Nothing's eating me, I'm fine. Bullshit. You've been too quiet lately. You're always looking over your shoulder as if you think someone's sneaking up on you. You look tired. And when you laugh, your eyes don't laugh. What is it that you've gotten yourself into, son? Mark stood up and opened his mouth to say, Nothing. I'm doing just fine. But instead, he told Derek everything in one great breathless rush. All of it. The initial email and his boneheaded response. The effigy. The threats. The picture of his car. Derek lit another smoke and let him get it all out. When Mark was finished, the older man tossed the butt into the compost bin and said, Holy hell. I'll tell you what. You need to either call the goddamn cops or meet up with this kid and slap the unholy snot out of little shithead yourself. Beat his ass. I'll offer to do it for you, but my last fight didn't go so well. That's not the answer. Although it sounds hard as fuck and has that old-school sort of charm to it. It's a pretty stupid idea, actually. Brennan might be fairly harmless, sure, but he might also be a certified murderous nutcase. There's no way in hell that I'd risk trying to meet up with him. He'd cut my head off with a machete and fuck my eye socket or something. Well, that's the other option, isn't it? Call the fucking cops, you stupid bastard. What the fuck you waiting for? If I call the cops, this is going to be in the news. I don't want that. No one bothers me here. I'm completely anonymous. If I make a police report, that's going to change. Hmm. Yeah, I'll get that. But let me ask you a question. What happens next in the book? Mark stared at him. Nothing good, right? So this guy's already went ahead and done some fucked up shit and danced around a fucked up sculpture he made, right? All based on your fucked up book. So, what's he gonna do next? You wrote the book, bud. So, 
you must know what's coming next on this nuthouse reject schedule. Never mind you for a second. Is he gonna end up hurting someone else because of this? Mark stammered for a moment, then spat out. This isn't my fault. For Christ's sake, I never imagined ever that someone might actually try to... No one's playing the blame game here, Mark. Settle down. I think maybe your guilty conscience is coming out to say hi. Mark looked at the ground and said nothing. You need to put a stop to this one way or another. Because there is a storm brewing here. Very bad storm. This kind of crazy is nothing to fuck with, my friend. I'm telling you. Put a stop to this post-haste. Take a look at the emails. See what the guy's been up to. Then send him to the cops. Do it ASAP. You hear me? Of course, Derek was right. The situation needed to be dealt with. If email had existed in the 70s, John Lennon would have surely had his inbox inundated with lunatic communications from Mark Chapman, who was playing with fire. Lancaster promised Derek that he'd take care of it. It was a promise that he'd soon regret. Ignorance truly is bliss. Ancaster ignored his better judgment and took a drink that evening. The first drink became another, and it quickly snowballed into getting shitty-ass hammered. The maudlin tears of a lonely drunkard soon prickled in his eyes, and Mark wept bitterly for the lost love of his life. Jude. Wait. Wait. That, that, that wasn't her name. How could he not even remember her fucking name? He loved her more than anything. How could he forget? The fuck does it matter? She's gone, he sobbed, and he threw his glass across the room to smash against the wall. Everything in his old life was gone. His friends, his family, his very fucking identity. Stolen. Stolen by fame and money. Lancaster reeled to the many rooms of his house and cursed their emptiness. He tripped over his own feet and fell down hard in the family room. Well, that's what the realtor had called it, and what a crock of shit that was. He took out the coffee table in spectacular fashion, his drunken dead weight smashing the unwitting thing completely flat. Family room, Mark grunted, sprawled in the sad debris of his coffee table. Like shiz of fucking family room. What fucking family do I got, huh? Where the hell is everybody? <laughs> fuck you, people. Fuck you. And fuck me, too. Mark soon blacked out completely and cruised around the house on blackout autopilot for a while, hollering out obscenities and occasionally beating the shit out of some inanimate object that had offended him. It all came roiling out of him, wave after wave of darkness, the bewilderment and his growing fame the stress of his current situation, the delayed fury and his years of misfortune. Things got messy. Ancaster was passed out face down on a love seat by eleven, his left arm and his legs trailing onto the floor like those of a damp, odious old rag doll. For a long while there was only blackness all around him, pitch black in all directions and nothing else. Mark floated in the darkness like an embryo, unthinking and unfeeling. 
until he was abruptly startled into conscious thought by the appearance of a small, flickering flame in the distance. It looked like a campfire. He made his way towards the flame on legs that he couldn't feel. The flame steadily grew larger as he drew closer. And then, without transition, Mark suddenly found himself standing before a modest campfire in someone's backyard. Two other figures were present, but they both seemed oblivious to Mark's presence. One had his back to him, crouched down to attend to something unseen, and the other stood beside him at the fire. He was reading out loud from a clutch of moldering sheets of rough-looking paper, yellowed and coarse and ancient. The man was muscular and stout beneath his old-fashioned cloak. His hair was a wild gray mane that stretched halfway down his back. He looked exactly as Ancaster had imagined he would. The man standing beside him was none other than Cyril Hellstrom, the decadent and utterly insane main character of Vyorzum. Mark realized that they were in Brennan's backyard, and the crouching figure was Brennan himself. He felt the first stirrings of fear in his guts, cold and wet. Something bad was about to happen. Hellstrom cleared his throat and read the incantations that were scrawled in blood on the pages before him. Mark found himself mouthing the words along with him. After all the endless hours that he'd spent writing the entirety of Hellstrom's incantations, he knew the whole spiel by heart. And it was known that in the world of mortals, power is the harbinger of greed, a catalyst for atrocity and a god unto itself. And it was known that greed in turn heralds the coming of death. And to death is your zoom drawn, as he is drawn to chaos and despair. And so it came to pass that the stench of death did summon your zoom unto this world, and he found that his attempts to walk among men were stymied by the great veil that separates the world of mortals from that of the unformed, the ageless. These were the beings who men called as demons, monstrous entities who lived to destroy, and Yorzum was powerful among their ranks. Frustrated in his intent to stand astride the corpse of mankind, Yorzum did search the dreams and desires of all men, seeking a mind that was enfeebled by abhorrent vice and cruel avarice. And he did find such a dull spirit in my own self. Brennan the feeble. Brennan the wretched. I am he. Hellstrom had disappeared and now it was Brennan who was reading the incantations in a high, quavering voice. Mark could see the fruit of Brennan's earlier labors by the flickering light of the campfire. A captive woman, bound and hog-tied. Mark dimly remembered hearing a missing person's report on the radio. There was no doubt in his mind that this was the missing woman in question. She was in her late forties, attractive beneath the trails of tears and snot on her face. She'd been bound wrist and ankle by the belt of the terry cloth robe she was wearing. Other than the filth robe, the only thing she was wearing was a pair of large, dowdy white panties, Bedtime undies for a single lady who sleeps alone most nights. A fuzzy slipper dangled from one foot. The woman's other foot was bare, 
and was missing most of the toes, sheared off cleanly by something with a wickedly sharp edge. Her robe was open, exposing her breasts, and Mark recoiled at the grisly state they were in. They were severely bruised and covered with circular burn marks, presumably from a cigarette. Multiple cigarettes. It would likely have taken a long time to inflict so many deep, searing burns. The cigarette's ember would keep going out. Ancaster realized that the woman was Brennan's own mother. They had the same facial features and hairline. It made a sort of sick but logical sense that Brennan would use his own mom for the final ritual. Not only did he hate her, but she was probably the only other human being with whom he had any sort of regular contact. Her eyes were bulging and glossy. She was in shock. There are seven precious effluences, and I have offered them all to you in good faith. Blood, saliva, tears, bile, sweat, semen, and excrement. They are your nourishment in the manner that men do eat the bounty of nature. The young man's face was a wax statue, slack and pale. His eyes were sunken holes, and he was slick with sweat. Mark could smell its wild, sour tang over the acrid wood smoke. And so, be nourished, my lord. I praise you and give you this final gift. I give you suffering, great suffering. Drink your fill. Brennan reached into the pouch of his hooded sweatshirt and pulled out a knife. In the story, Hellstrom had used a ceremonial gold dagger, drawn from a sheath made from the tanned hide of Mark the Disciple. Brennan didn't have anything of the sort at his disposal, so he made do with what he had. His was a thin filleting knife, flexible and sharp. Come forth and gorge on this bitch's pain, he roared, exultant and he threw an armful of sticks into the fire. They whooshed alight with a blaze of dry crackling and popping. The light drove back the shadows and revealed the object that loomed tall and malformed above the woman who lay prone in the sparse grass. It was Viorzum, a thing from Mark's imagination made flesh, forged from hard earth and things too vile to mention. The Orzum had many names, the Defiler, the Neverborn, the Creeping Madness, the King of Suffering. He had many different names. He was Madness, Murder, and Destruction. He was the famine that starves children until they are mummified skeletons in the arid sand. He was War, and he was Pestilence. Mirzum was a being created from fevered delusions and evil intent, the primal monster that festers deep within the heart of all mankind. Mark tried to lunge at the madman as he lurched towards his sacrifice and found that he couldn't move. A scream rose up in his throat and stalled at his lips. He knew all too well what Brennan was about to do. He was the one who'd written this scene. After all, the bound woman cringed away into the hard-packed dirt as her son advanced on her, knife in hand. She shrieked 
and squalled against the dirty gag in her mouth with all her might. Her eyes were devastating. They were round and wet and perfectly wild with fear. The woman was about to die, and she knew it. Brennan whispered, To you, mighty Verzum, I offer this gift. And he knelt before his mother slowly, almost reverently. He raised the knife to her face, and Mark woke up screaming. Shaking with nausea and anxiety, Ancaster stumbled to the wreckage of his house, the details of his nightmare quickly dissolving into a black mire of fear in his mind. He sat down at his desk in the dark and fired up his computer. He fervently prayed that no one had come to actual harm in real life, that his dream was just that, a dream and nothing more. Of course it was. Dreams never become reality, that's just stupid. Right? His inbox was flooded with almost 200 messages. Most of them were from Brennan. He skimmed through the subject headings. It was unsurprised to see that most of them said things like, I'll see your blood soon, and repent for the end is near, you motherfucker. The newest email, though, it was simply entitled, No Subject. It had popped up in his inbox mere minutes before he'd sat down at his computer Lancaster stared at the little paperclip symbol and swallowed back an enormous urge to bolt up from his chair and go have another long drink of whiskey, straight from the bottle. His hand creeped over and reluctantly grasped the mouse. Seconds later, he was staring at a video player. No. Nope. Fuck this. I am not acknowledging this shit. I don't want this shit. I'm scared. He was going to acknowledge it, though, because this had all gone too far, and he was a part of that. You have to own what you've sown, son. Who'd said that? His father? No, probably not. His father was about as eloquent as a block of cement. And was he really going to do this? Why not just go get another drink and click? Mark's finger betrayed him. The video began to play. The video had been taken with an older digital camera that had been set on a tripod. It was dim and pixelated, and the sound was a muffled static roar that was barely intelligible. Mark watched as Brennan stood before a small fire in his backyard and read the last of the incantations with trembling lips. He looked absolutely insane. His eyes were bugged out of his head. His face was twitching uncontrollably, and over the last few weeks the kid's hair had become a greasy, tangled rat's nest. His jeans were filthy. Unlike the dream, however, the wild-eyed young man was not reading from a tangled handful of ancient scrolls. He was reading from a paperback copy of Mark's book. Brennan's lips moved. The fire flickered and in the background the foul effigy of Ancaster's imagination rose up and up, stretching clear out of the frame. Brennan had clearly spent many, many hours sculpting Vyrzum's body to an obsessive level of detail. The thing was disturbingly off-kilter. It was a gaunt, sinewy figure with a misshapen ribcage and jutting pelvic bones. 
a creature from a place where symmetry does not exist. One shoulder rode higher than the other, and one of the effigy's legs were thicker at the knee than the thigh or calf. Looking at the thing stirred a knee-jerk feeling of revulsion in the primitive part of Mark's brain, the part that still feared the things that live in the dark. At its feet, a woman lay on her stomach, her limbs wrenched behind her and bound wrist to ankle with a band of terry cloth. She had been gagged with a wide strip of masking tape. Even with the bad lighting and muddy video quality, Mark could see the panic and terror on her face. She was clearly a direct relative of Brennan's. Probably his mother. Oh, Jesus, shut this off. Now! But he couldn't. For better or worse, he simply couldn't stop the video. It was his bitter medicine, and he had to take it all. Every last horrific drop. Apparently done with his reading, Brennan threw the book to the ground and walked towards the camera his grin an unsettling slant of dull yellow teeth. The picture swung around in a wild blur, then settled down again as a close-up of the helpless, prostrate woman on the ground. She was struggling to inch backwards from the camera, her eyes streaming tears. The woman's breast strung free of her bathrobe, and Mark flinched back from the screen. They were ruined, modeled with bruises and burns and large circular wounds that Ancaster guessed to be savage bite marks. Brennan came back into view and knelt down beside his captive. He seized her hair with one hand and pulled her head back. In his other hand, he held a knife. The campfire glittered on its blade. No, Mark whispered. No, Brennan, don't. Don't do this. Brennan brought the blade up and sank the tip of it into her forehead. Blood instantly flowed and streamed on her face. He pulled the tip around the edges of her hairline and created a solid line of split skin. A perimeter that oozed blood and tiny curds of subcutaneous fat. He grinned and drew more lines of blood down either side of her jawline, then joined them with a cut around her chin. Fuck me, Mark breathed. His hand was over his mouth. It trembled. The bulge-eyed young man said something to the camera, then carefully pushed the tip of the knife into one of the incisions. His face, a study in concentration, Brennan pried up a shelf of skin. He began to delicately slice at the tissue beneath, pulling up more of the skin as he went. Mark closed his eyes tightly and gripped the arms of his computer chair as hard as he could. This isn't real. I trade everything I own in this world for confirmation that this isn't fucking real. Time passed. Finally, he opened his eyes just enough to click on the video player, pausing it. The video was almost over. The woman's skinless face screamed at him from his monitor frozen in a moment of unbearable agony. Her eyes and nose were missing, lost to a swipe of the knife. They were just a triangle of dark, bleeding holes now, concavities that mirrored the gaping oval of her mouth. Just below the jutting shelf of her chin, Mark could see a bright, shining blur. It was Brennan's knife, 
delivering the finishing cut across her throat. He'd inadvertently paused the video right at the exact moment of the woman's murder. Mark stared at the screen for long minutes, numb with shock. Brennan's mother stared back at him, her face a grotesque mask of blood and exposed tissue. I'm responsible for this. Me? I could have prevented this. And I didn't. I didn't. His stomach lurched. Ancaster ran for the bathroom. This episode of Horror Hill is proudly brought to you by BetterHelp. Oh man, it's the end of season two already. Wow, I, I feel like I barely got to know season two. I didn't even get to say goodbye. What am I going to do? Oh god, I'm so depressed. 2020's been bad enough, but now... Now this? Oh no. No. No! Sound familiar? I bet it does. All joking aside, I have struggled with depression in my life, and although season three is literally right around the corner, I'm gonna miss season two. But for those times when I actually feel real depression and burnout, and this year, there have been a few of those times, I'm always glad that no matter how low I get, I'm never far from somebody I can talk to, thanks to better help. Whenever you feel like external forces are interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, you too can always turn to BetterHelp. All you have to do is sign up and BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that you'll be communicating with in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online offering a broad range of expertise which may not be locally available in many areas, while this service is available worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, avoiding those awkward moments sitting in the lobby, perusing that well-loved issue of National Geographic Adventure that's been out of date since 2003. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Don't believe me? Check out their website, where customer testimonials are updated daily. Just go to betterhelp.com hill. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And as a special bonus for Horror Hill listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com hill. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash hill. Thank you for your support of this program and of the sponsors that make it possible.
Derek awoke in a state of extreme confusion. It was the middle of the night. Why the hell was he sitting upright in his fold-out cot, groping around amongst the junk on his nightstand? Then, the sound shrilled again, loud and insistent, and he grabbed the phone. He croaked. <clears throat> Who is it? Don't you have a goddamn clock over there? Fuck. It's after three in the morning. What the hell? He did it. He... The crazy son of a bitch did something bad, Derek. I mean, really fucking bad, and I'm responsible. Shit. It was Mark, and he sounded half crazy with panic and fear. In an instant, Derek was wide awake and alert. His newfound sobriety was to thank for that. Until quite recently, he probably wouldn't even have heard the phone ring over his own drunken snores. Okay, kiddo. Slow down and back the hell up. All right. Now, I gather that you're talking about your little stalker buddy, right? What exactly did the crazy fucker do? I... No. I can't talk about this over the phone. Can, can, can you come over here? Now? I'm sorry, Derek, really, but this can't wait until whenever the fuck you decide to mow the lawn next, I need to talk to somebody you right now. And not the cops. Because it's my fault too, see? No cops, not yet. I just need to talk. Derek already had a pretty good idea of what happened, more or less. Ancaster's crazy stalker had hurt someone, maybe even killed someone. Fuck. His heart sank. This was a life-changing shitstorm in the making. Yeah, I'm coming over right now. I'm on my way, kid. Hurry. Mark breathed on the other end of the line his voice thick and rough, like he just finished crying. I think he might know where I live. I don't know for sure. Just, just, just hurry. Please. I'm leaving right now. See you soon. Derek scrubbed his hands over his eyes and started hunting around the cluttered bedroom for a pair of pants. By the sounds of it, the kid was in some very deep shit. It was time to repay a favor. Derek was shocked by how bad Ancaster looked. He appeared to have aged ten years in as many hours. Did you see anyone on the street? No. Come in, don't worry about your shoes. Derek temporarily forgot about the matter on hand when he stepped into the massive foyer. The house was both impressively grand and in a state of disturbing disarray. It was clear from the wreckage around him and the all-too-familiar sour tang of whiskey on Mark's breath that the younger man was having what Derek thought of as one of those nights. These were the occasions when the booze turned mean and things got rough. Oh, Derek knew all about those nights. Yes, indeed. He pretty much owned the goddamn copyright. Mark locked the door and slid over the deadbolt. I got drunk. As you can see, it's been a bad night. Follow me. It's a... Uh... Well, I'll show you. The older man followed Mark to his office, a large space that was littered by the remains of two massive bookshelves. Books and splinters of wood were everywhere. They skirted the mess, and Mark beckoned him to stand behind the massive oak desk. He showed Derek the paused image on the screen, and they both stared at it for a minute in silence. He sent me hundreds of emails in the last few weeks. Literally hundreds. This was the attachment that came with the last one. 
a video. He filmed himself acting out the final ritual on the book. Mark's eyes twitched with a nervous tick, and he grimaced. See, in the book, Vyrzum is born into our world to the blood and pain of a woman as a profanity of the natural birth ritual. Her face is removed because beauty offends him. Mark let out a shaky breath. It sounded like a sob. He sat heavily on the desk and said, Do you want to watch the... No. Fuck no. I don't think anyone in their right mind would. Derek plopped down into Mark's computer chair and looked up at him with weary, hard-faced compassion. You gotta call the cops. And I mean, gotta. Your ass is grass if you don't. Oh, I'm in a lot of trouble either way, Derek. I, I knew it was going to happen, and I didn't do anything to stop it. I'm culpable, man. <laughs> My ass is already grass. And if you don't call the cops, you'll also be an accessory to murder and concealing a crime. Kid, you gotta bite the bullet and make the call. Now, before something even worse happens. You said this guy might know where you live. Mark nodded, his eyes miserable and afraid. Yeah, he sent me a picture he took of my car. It was parked in a lot of a grocery store. The picture looks like it was taken from a window in a city bus, so I just kind of dismissed it. I mean, <laughs> that place is miles away from here. It's in the neighborhood, sure, but there's no way he got off the bus and somehow tailed me home on foot. Derek looked at him in the manner an exasperated adult regards a wooden-headed toddler. Did it ever occur to you that maybe he got off the bus and hailed a fucking cab? He could have followed you that way, too. Ancaster froze. No. This had not occurred to him. You fucking dummy. This wingnut probably does know where you live. And he's probably coming over right now because you're a loose end that needs to get tied. Fuck you, you stupid bastard. I'm calling the cops and I'm doing it right now. Give me your goddamn phone. Mark handed over his cell phone. He was very pale. Um, how, how the fuck do you use this? Derek demanded. These little shitters. There ain't even any goddamn buttons. How are you supposed to dial a number? A muffled, indistinct clack sound reverberated throughout the house, and a split second later, the power went off. Both men cried out in fright and surprise. Derek dropped the phone and cursed. Jesus, Murphy. He gasped. My fucking heart just about exploded. Where's the fuse box in this place? No. I, 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 I mean, I, I know where the fuse box is, but that, that's not the problem. Mark made his way to the window and peered out from between the blinds. Power's out all across the neighborhood. Looks like it might go a lot further than that, though. The sky's dark. No lights are on anywhere in the city, as far as I can see. I, 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 I think I've got a flashlight somewhere in a kitchen drawer. Be careful getting out of here. There's books and crap all over the floor. With Mark leading the way, the two men stumbled over the fallen bookcases and navigated towards the kitchen by the meager moonlight that spilled through the windows. Derek lagged behind, both of them trailing their hands across the wall of the hallway to keep their bearing. The fine hairs on the back of Mark's neck were standing on end, 
something wasn't right. There was a strange energy in the air. In the distance, sirens were ululating a mournful dirge into the night sky. The sound grated on his screaming nerves. They entered the master living room and were promptly pitched into complete darkness. The window shades were drawn. Mark heard Derek bang hard against some unyielding object and hiss. Ow! Damn it! Watch out. There's chairs and shit laying all over the place. There was a sharp, strained undertone in his voice. He felt it too. Something wasn't right. Just stay where you are. I'll get the flashlights from the kitchen and come back. Mark Baby stepped his way to the kitchen, hands cautiously held before him like feelers in the dark. The kitchen was almost too bright. After the pitch black of the living room, moonlight streamed in from the windows, revealing a mess of broken chairs and scattered utensils. He found two flashlights and clicked one of them on. The added light gave him a small confidence boost. Hey, Derek called out. Hurry up, would you? It's blacker than midnight in a mineshaft out here. Found him, Mark shouted back. I'm coming, hold on. Outside the faraway sirens were growing louder. They had been joined by a droning buzz of multiple helicopters. Sounds like there's been a, a bad traffic accident. Maybe a power pole bit the dust, Mark said, and shined the light onto Derek, who looked tired and anxious. But the cops are pretty busy right now, don't you think? Maybe... Maybe I'll wait until morning before I... Fuck that. Call those sons of bitches right now, dumbass. Derek rasped. He carefully picked his way closer to Mark and took the other flashlight. You mention murder and they'll find the fucking time. You bet they will. Ancaster let out a quavering sigh and nodded. It was time to own up to this. It was far past that time, actually. Tragically so. Yeah, yeah, don't beat me over the fucking head with it. I know I gotta do this. He trailed off and his nose wrinkled. Hey. What the fuck is that smell? A sour stench of intense body odor assaulted their nostrils, compounded with the acrid stink of burning sulfur. It filled the air and choked them. Jesus. Derek gagged. What the hell? Oh, fuck. The security alarm power is off. Mark opened his mouth to speak, and a voice behind them rasped. The cops can't help you. No one can. Not even God. It's too late, motherfucker. He's risen. He has risen. They both jumped in unison and whirled to point their flashlight to the kitchen doorway. Brennan slithered into view with eerie, liquid speed, and his grin was a valley of leaning tombstones. His face was a mask of dried blood and soot and wide, wild eyes. Brennan's hair was mostly burnt off, and his clothes hung in charred tatters from his body. He held his knife aloft before him, poised to kill. Look out! Derek thundered, and he shoved Mark aside, diving forward to meet Brennan's charge in the process. Mark stumbled backwards over an end table and slammed onto his back, knocking the wind from his lungs in a whoosh. 
His flashlight tumbled from his grasp and rolled, bathing the room in a strobe-like jumble of confused flashes of light. Derek dove in low and took Brennan down with a football tackle. They tumbled, and the older man shouted an agonized curse. Arms and legs pistoned. Brennan cackled in demented glee, and Derek screamed, Fuck! You little cocksucking son of a whore! Mark forced himself to suck in a miserly breath and scrambled on all fours over to where the combatants lay sprawled on the floor. Brennan was sitting astride the gardener, straining to break Derek's hold on his knife hand. The fist that was curled around the handle of the knife was smeared with fresh blood. Derek was rapidly losing his grip on the other man's blood-greased wrist. Mark, get this fucker off of me! Mark struggled to his feet and, running the last few steps between them, kicked Brennan in the face as hard as he could. There was a sound like a branch snapping, and the kid flopped over sideways, his knife tumbling from his fingers. He turtled into a ball and held his face. Pain flared in Mark's big toe, sharp and hot. He ignored it and stomped the heel of his bare foot into the back of Brennan's head. More pain but the result was satisfying. Brennan's degenerate skull whopped off the floor with brutal force, and he immediately began to snore. Mark snarled. How do you like that, you sick little fuck, huh? How do you like it? And stomped down again, his lips pulled back from his teeth in two thin, bloodless lines. After the third stomp, Brennan's snores became labored and choppy. He jittered and spasmed on the floor. Good. Do the funky chicken all the way to hell, Mark thought, and he raised his foot to deliver stomp number four. Derek panted. Stop! Don't do it. And sat up painfully, holding his abdomen with one hand and bracing himself with the other. You'll kill little fucker and land yourself in a shit ton of trouble. They'll call it murder. The lights abruptly came back on. Mark noted with some satisfaction that Brennan's head was now flatter on one side than it used to be. His ears were bleeding. Fuck this piece of shit. He can go ahead and die, Mark panted, and he waved a hand at Derek's stomach. You're good. How bad is it? Derek's round, middle-aged abdomen was soaked in blood. No, no, it's bad. Derek tried to pull himself to his feet. His face a rictus of agony, and Mark forced him to lie back on the floor. I regret jumping in first, not gonna lie. Stabbed me deep, right in the guts. It hurts like you wouldn't believe. Burning inside. Not good. I need a doctor. Don't move. I'll call an ambulance. Where the fuck is my phone? It was getting loud out there. There were wailing sirens of all kinds more helicopters. What the hell was going on? And where was the fucking phone for Christ? Mark trailed off. Somewhere in the distance, a powerful explosion rent the air like the wrath of God. The windows shimmered in their frames. The hell was that? Derek wheezed. I don't know. Something happening out there. A lot of sirens and helicopters. Mark snatched his phone off the floor and dialed 911. He got a busy signal. What the hell? Mark tried again, and this time, he got nothing at all. Silence. Oh shit, Mark. 
Our little buddy here just stopped breathing. Fuck that asshole. Let him die. I'm getting you to a hospital, though. Right fucking now. I'll drive you there myself. Come on, give me your arm. I'll help you to your feet. Mark grasped Derek's arm and strained to pull him to his feet. Derek let out a weak little scream. Damn it! Shit a jet plane and fly to fucking Cuba. That was bad. Derek was as pale as a corpse in the soft white glow of the flashlight. He was sweating rivers. I'm gonna get the backseat of your fancy new car, old bloody bucko. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Put your arm around my shoulders and lean on me if you have to. They lurched together to the front door, looking like two men engaged in a three-legged race in hell. As Mark pulled open the door, a second explosion lit up the night. This one was much closer, just a few blocks away. The windows shattered and the men staggered back, falling into a grunting heap on the floor. Outside, the twisted, smoldering pieces of a police cruiser fell like rain onto the street and front yard. An axle twirled down from the sky and smashed the marble fountain into fragments. The house was pummeled by falling chunks of fiberglass and steel. The cruiser's six-cylinder engine whistled from the night sky like a meteor and slammed through Mark's roof, obliterating the old porcelain tub in the master bathroom on impact. The noise was deafening. In the front yard, a severed head hit the grass and rolled to a smoldering stop in front of the porch. The head was encapsulated in a charred riot helmet with the word police emblazoned across the side. The entire horizon was on fire. The city was engulfed in flames. What the fuck is going on out there? Derek sobbed. He curled up on his side and began to rock back and forth, clutching his stomach wound with trembling hands. Did the kid do this? Did he? What the fuck did he do, Mark? I don't know. I can't. Mark left the sentence hanging. Come on, Derek, get up. We gotta get the fuck out. A police chopper word passed overhead, sweeping the ground with its spotlight as it went. It opened fire at the end of the street, and tracers from heavy automatic gunfire streaked down to strafe some unseen target. The chopper suddenly wobbled, listed to the right, then careened toward the ground in a short, devastating arc. It slammed into a house at the far end of the street, and a ball of fire erupted into the night sky. This time, Mark's ears popped, and he actually felt his skin tighten against the heat of the blast. A few blocks down the road, the streetlights began to blow out in violent showers of glass and sparks one by one. Something was approaching. He could dimly make out a large figure, backlit by the fire, striding down the street towards his house with a strange, stiff-jointed gait. Something. Derek! Come on, we gotta get going! Right now! He seized the injured man under his armpits and hauled him to his feet, grimacing under the older man's dead weight. Derek cried out and clutched at him, trembling. Oh, what are you doing, man? That fucking hurts! He's coming for me! He's coming! We gotta run! Come on! Mark dragged Derek down the porch steps and over to his car. He tried to jam the key into the lock, but instead, 
It skidded across a wall of marbled, scaly skin, like armor. His car surged forward, and its sheer bulk knocked him staggering. Derek dropped like a stone onto the driveway, and Mark fell backward onto his ass. Oh, what the fuck? The Lexus was now a giant, hissing reptile. A primeval beast with bulging, red-rimmed eyes. It whipped around its huge, triangular head and sank its teeth into Derek's midsection. He began to scream, and Ancaster could only look on with numb, open-mouthed horror, too shocked to react. The lizard shook Derek back and forth like a dog with a chew toy, then repeatedly slammed him onto the driveway over and over again. Blood droplets spattered everything within a 15-foot radius, Mark included. The lizard dropped the limp, broken man and buried its snout into his pelvis. Flesh shredded with a sound like wet, rotting cheesecloth. Derek wailed. Mark shrieked, Derek, no! At the sound of his voice, the older man opened his eyes. They were glassy and wet. He weakly pummeled at the lizard's head and gasped, Run! God damn it! Run! The monstrous thing pulled its fangs free of Derek's innards, hissed balefully at Mark, then clamped Derek's head between his teeth. His eyes bulged, there was a sickening crunch, and the thing's jaw slammed shut. Brain matter sprayed from the corner of its mouth in a thick, pasty splatter. Oh, Jesus, God, Mark cried out. He whirled and fled, limping as fast as possible towards his nearest neighbor's fence. Behind him, the streetlights continued to blow out. The tinkling of broken glass was steadily growing closer and closer. It sounded like hushed laughter. He scrambled over the high fence and ran across his neighbor's lawn. The grass seemed to grasp at his feet like sharp tentacles, staggering him. He cried out and the moon laughed down at him, a round-faced goblin with sharp, savage teeth. The stars were large and alien and bizarre. They shone with an unmerciful, unwavering glare, cold and harsh. So cold. The air stank of sulfur and burnt carbon, curdled blood and necrotic flesh. Mark ripped free of the grass and lurched over the blacktop driveway. His feet promptly sank into it like quicksand. He was stuck. God help me, he screamed. God help me! God help me! Please! Please! His neighbor opened the door and stepped out onto his front porch. He was naked. The man's sagging middle-aged flesh was painted red with blood. His head was now the head of a horse, and its eyes glowed like dying embers. Your zoom lives, the thing grunted, and it absently stroked its massive horse cock. All hail the defiler. Bow to him, slave. The last few streetlights shattered behind him, and Ancaster was plunged into darkness. He heard the Lexus lizard utter a thick, bullish snort and scamper away into the night its massive claws tearing up clumps of sod as it fled. It left what remained of Derek behind, a meal for whatever scavengers that might come next. 
Ancaster's neighbor giggled and retreated back into his house, slamming the door behind him. Flat, scraping footsteps scuffled towards him in the gloom. Mark let out a high-pitched screech and redoubled his efforts to free himself from the viscous mire of his neighbor's driveway. He keened for God to save him, but there was no answer to please for help. There was only the alien sky and poisonous air, and the defiler, the king of suffering, he who devours hope. Mark wept. He wept and clawed his own face in lunatic supplication. He could see it clearly now, in the strange light of the demon moon, a figure that stretched over seven feet into the air, a thing with asymmetrical shoulders and a head like a carnivorous bucket. Its face was ancient and wrinkled, lined and deeply pitted by time. There was no pity in its eyes, no warmth, no charisma or faith or wit. There was no soul. Its eyes were hunger and hatred and nothing else. He was the never-born, the creeping madness, the wicked infinite. He was Vyorzum, and for all his infinite power, he was not a god. Gods create. Vyorzum only destroys. He loomed over Mark, salivating thick drops of sulfuric acid and black lips like a dog's wrinkled back from his predatory teeth. Mark shuddered and wet himself. Snot hung from his nose in a streamer. He tried to beg, but his voice was only a croak. Please, he whispered. Please. Your zoom bent to his prey and Mark Ancaster learned what horror really was. You've been listening to Vior Zoom by author T.W. Grimm. And that's a wrap on season two. Alas, Horror Hill must once again leave this veil of tears... So many of the bittersweet memories. But don't you worry yourself. Because we'll be back. Very. 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 Soon. Until then. <laughs> I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week, when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumbed from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Tonight's story was written by and brought to you courtesy of T.W. Grimm. Grimm is a self-published horror novelist from southwestern Ontario and the author of 99 Brief Scenes from the End of the World, Tripping Over Twilight, When the Stars Fall, and The Promises We Make in December, now available on Amazon.com. 
To learn more about T.W. and keep up with him, you can follow him on Twitter or Facebook. If you enjoy what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show. And that means a lot to me too. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night, sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshak. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshak. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button. 
and the bell notification icon for chilling tales for dark nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>